Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Thomas DeLauer. You should always be keeping a stimulus and keeping a little bit of stress. It's just like your dogs, they get old and they get to be 15, 16 years old sometimes and you don't take them for walks anymore. But that's when they start to deteriorate because there's no more stressor, no more adaptation. So what's the point in living? The cells don't see a point anymore. There's no adaptation that needs to occur. I hope I don't sound like too cynical and dark. I'm just <laughs> no. like, it's, uh, I think it's something that we all could learn a lot from because we should be a little bit uncomfortable and that goes for everything that we do. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben is out of here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast and the best-selling author of Keto Flex. Today, we bring back an amazing human being who is not just really knowledgeable, but he's just a great human being. His name is Thomas DeLauer. He has been on the Keto Camp Podcast before episode 64, where we talked about gluconeogenesis and why more protein is actually better for you, especially if you're doing keto. You can listen to that after you listen to this one. We'll drop a link for it down below. On today's episode, we get into metabolic switching and why it's important to go in and out of ketosis, aka keto flexing, which is my latest book. And he gives an amazing analogy about a train so you really understand what we mean by that. We talk about some of the issues that can happen with long-term ketosis and how long he recommends it takes before we start practicing keto flexing, meaning intentionally getting out of ketosis. We talk about the Gibbs free energy equation, which proves that when your brain is running off of ketones, you actually get about 27% more energy, which is why you feel like a keto rock star and so mentally clear and just feel great when you're in the great land of ketosis. I asked Thomas the question, out of his many years of research and experience, what has surprised him the most? And his answer was fantastic. And then we get into some rapid fire keto food questions where I asked Thomas the question, is this healthy on keto or not? I asked him about cow dairy, almonds, spinach, kale, nightshades, barbecued meat, and pastured bacon. Just wait until you hear his answers on those. So before I bring Thomas on the show, I just want to take a minute here to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Baker45 titled Great Podcast. I have been listening to this one for a while. It's a great podcast and it has great information every time I listen to each episode. Baker, thank you so much for being a longtime listener. I'm so glad each episode is bringing value to you. We are so committed to bringing such incredible thought leaders in the space to giving you not just the science, but practical ways to apply it so you can change your life and change the lives of your community and those around you. So Baker, thank you so much for that. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts as it really makes a big difference for the show. If you're on Instagram, make sure you shoot me a follow at 
the Benazadi and on Clubhouse at the Benazadi as well. And shoot a tag to me that you listen to this episode with Thomas. Take a screenshot and post it on your stories and tag me. And when I, when I see it, I'll share it on my stories. Just wanted to remind you that my brand new book, Keto Flex, is available. As a matter of fact, Thomas DeLauer wrote an amazing excerpt for the book as he endorsed it, and so have so many other people in the health space. Thomas DeLauer is one of them, Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Daniel Pampa, who wrote the foreword, Dr. Jason Fung, and many other incredible people. So if you haven't gotten the book yet, please head to ketoflexbook.com and purchase your copy today. I always say structure trumps intention. You can have all the best intentions in the world, but if you don't have the structure in place, it's gonna be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want. If you are on the go traveling and you don't wanna think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey, for me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling and when I wanna have something nearby that's a healthy snack, my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley beef sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on the go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasia, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry and I hear her unwrapping it and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> they are delicious. And since you are a avid listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com Use Ben15, Ben15 at checkout to get 15% off. That is paleovalley.com, Ben15 at checkout. All right, let's dive deep into a fantastic conversation with Thomas DeLauer. Thomas DeLauer is a celebrity trainer, entrepreneur, author. Thomas has an incredible before and after story where he was hyper-focused on business and his weight and health got away from him. In a rather short amount of time, he went from being 280 pounds to 185 pounds. And he's been on the cover of some of the largest health and fitness magazines in the world. Now, he writes for some of the largest fitness publications in the world as an expert in diet, nutrition, and mindset. He's a coach. He's an author. He's got an incredible YouTube channel that you probably are subscribed to. So here is Thomas DeLauer. What is going on, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome back to the podcast, man. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, man. It's a blast. First question is this. 
you gave a great analogy at the Biohacking Congress on this train, and you kind of compared this train to our me metabolism, this metabolic system. And we align in the sense that we love keto, but we don't think you should be keto all the time. So can you share why you believe that and use that analogy? Yeah, I mean, so the, the analogy that I brought up was if you have a train going down a typical track and you reach the Y or the fork in the track that trains would reach, you know, ordinarily there's that little lever that someone will get off the train and pull and that'll allow the train to go either the left track or the right track and there's a manual lever. But visualize for a minute that the train is only going down that left avenue all the time. And that means that the, the lever never gets pulled to switch the track over to the right, okay? that lever would probably be pretty rusted. It'd be pretty hard to move. It would be pretty hard. You'd have to force it in order to get it to switch over to the right track. But let's pretend for a second that you're consistently switching between the left track and the right track. So that lever gets moved all the time. The lever's much less likely to be rusted up and, and stuck. So it's going to be, you know, a lot more pliable. Well, the same thing kind of applies within your body with metabolic flexibility. Like, let's just pretend hypothetically that ketogenic diet and fat adaptation and that whole process beta oxidation is the left track and glucose oxidation glycolysis is the right track neither track is good nor bad really i mean it's just they're just tracks but if you go down one track for too long without ever switching the mitochondrial machinery to go to the other track then you're going to get dependent on that one track and you're going to become somewhat intolerant. So the reason that I mentioned that with keto is people go hardcore keto and they don't take adequate time off of it. And you lose a lot of the mitochondrial machinery to process glucose. And there's a lot of studies that show you, you become glucose intolerant. Now, does that mean that you become instantly diabetic? No, not at all. It means that you aren't going to oxidize glucose as efficiently. So when you do have it, you'll have a lot of metabolic waste, you'll have metabolic gridlock, and you'll feel like crap. And that explains why so many people that do keto, when they have their cheat meal, they feel like garbage. And granted, there's a lot of things. I mean, when they have a cheat meal, they're probably having cruddy food. But there's a lot of people that will do keto really strict. And they'll be like, no, if I even have a sweet potato, I feel like garbage. Well, mm. you shouldn't, you know, because it, it, carbs aren't bad you know like we've eaten them our entire history it's just we have this overconsumption of highly processed refined carbs that have made it to the point where like the overconsumption has really messed us up you should be able to eat a sweet potato and not feel like complete trash you might feel better on keto but you shouldn't feel like you need to go sleep for six hours if you had a sweet potato your body should be able to incinerate that like it or not like your body should have the mitochondrial ability to like process that and that's where being dual fueled and being able to really process both fuels comes in handy so hence the whole analogy of you know switching the gears now and then so your train will occasionally go down the right track just to make sure it doesn't get rusty so how long do you recommend somebody do keto for before they start switching that that track it's a highly individual it really is depending on like how much you exercise how much cardio you do because you can get yourself fat adapted really quickly if you're doing a lot of cardio like in endurance athletes i mean they are largely fat adapted even not being in keto like if you took you know some carb burner that eats 800 carbs a day but is running a marathon every day despite the fact that he's eating carbs he's probably very fat adapted because no matter which way you spin it if you're doing lower intensity longer duration cardio you're going through beta oxidation in a similar way as if you were you know oxidizing fat via a ketogenic diet. 
So it's highly dependent. So I usually say, you know, like 60 days minimum, like on a keto diet, just so you have time to get fat adapted. You really have time to like develop that mitochondrial machinery, especially the first time. Like if you're first going into keto, you really, you got to give it 60 days minimum. Like you, you really like, I would even say like the first time you're going keto, go six months, like really get yourself adapted before you start bouncing in and out of it. Uh, and then after that, like for me, it's usually like 60 days on like three weeks off is usually kind of my norm. I'll usually go 60 to 90 days on and oh yeah, three to four weeks off, depending on how long I was on before. That's like my pattern. Do I feel worse on carbs mentally? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, can't function. I mean, I don't think anyone else would ever notice it a video of mine that's filmed when I'm on carbs versus when I'm on ketones. I think to the naked eye, I come across just as fine, but it's, uh, I feel it. I don't feel as articulate, but I mean, that's just the way it is. But performance wise, I get a nice little boost in terms of my strength in the gym and that's something to count. So that's generally what I would recommend is 60 days on 30 days off. Yeah. I like that recommendation. It's very much aligned with uh, the book keto flex because it takes about 60 days or so to get through my first three pillars before we start practicing the flexing, which we intentionally get out of ketosis. Now you explained fat adaptation, which is different than keto adaptation. A lot of people don't understand that. So could you explain the difference between the two? Yeah. So fat adaptation is just, just where your body knows how to oxidize fats. Okay. So you have you know, three different things, lipolysis, oxidation, and ketogenesis, you know, very different things. Uh, lipolysis is the mobilization of fats, you know, liberating fats from the adipose tissue. Okay. Beta oxidation or fat adaptation or fat burning or whatever is going to be, you know, where the cells are taking up free fatty acids, converting them into acetylcholine A and ultimately creating energy that way. Ketogenesis or keto adaptation is where some of those fatty acids are going to the liver and the liver is converting them into ketones. So kind of an indirect process. Still acetylcholines I make conversion, still kind of that whole thing. But then, you know, eventually get turning into ketones. Keto adaptation is where your body becomes adapted to utilizing ketones at the given keto receptor sites, ketone receptor sites. Fat adaptation is just where your body understands how to use free fatty acids as a fuel source. So again, it kind of comes right back to like someone that's doing a lot of cardio, someone that is an endurance athlete, they can be fat adapted, but not necessarily keto adapted. Mm -hmm. Keto is how long you're actually exposing yourself to beta hydroxybutyrate. So the, the goal is really is to get keto adapted because to your point, you could just do a lot of exercise and become fat adapted for that moment or, or so, or you could just fast and become fat adapted, but that's not necessarily, you're not teaching your body to utilize the ketones. So fat adaptation could be days to weeks, keto adaptation, eight to 12 weeks. Is that what you've seen? Exactly. Yep. So you mentioned when you do keto, you notice that your brain performance is much better. Me too. It's one of the reasons why I do keto. And then when you're not doing keto, you, you feel good, but you just don't feel as mentally clear as mentally sharp. You're somebody who actually mentioned something in a recent video about uh, some studies that have come out on what keto could do for brain performance. And you talked about the Gibbs free energy equation. And you know what, Thomas, not a lot of people talk about that. So I was, I was impressed. I was like, oh, look at Thomas breaking down the Gibbs free. So explain what that is and how that could relate to keto. Yeah. I'll I mean, I'll explain it the best way that my, my feeble mind can, but <laughs> Gibbs free energy. I mean, the best way to just kind of explain it is like when you produce energy within the brain or like simple brain energetics, like you always have like an abundance of sort of free energy that is used for other things. Like kind of comes back even to like Newtonian physics, like 
best way to explain it is almost like a spillover. You know, you have this extra energy, but it's not oxidative stress. It's not energy that's like reactive and going to cause problems. That's extra energy that has to get kind of channeled somewhere else. So when you're talking about like brain energetics, that's how you can have more of what's called network stability. You have more like neural firing between different regions of the brain when you have more quote unquote free energy. And because ketones burn so much cleaner, you're left with more energy. You have less energy that is getting oxidized and less energy that is ultimately resulting in oxidative damage and more energy that is available, i.e. free energy. That's a very like elementary breakdown of it. It's Gibbs free energy is a pretty complicated thing to, if you're not, if you don't understand brain energetics and don't kind of understand again, what's called network stability, which is sort of the communication within the different regions of the brain. It sounds, you sound like you're a crazy person (laughs) trying to explain it. I guess I am kind of a crazy person, but (laughs) I guess we both are, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, great explanation. And uh, you also mentioned that ketones produce about 27% more energy via this uh, Gibbs energy equation versus uh, glucose. So that's that's fascinating because I experienced that just by doing keto, and I know, I know that you do as well. I'm curious, Thomas, you've been doing keto, I think, for what, 10 or 11 years? Yeah, just about almost 11 now. Almost 11 years. You've done a lot of research, a lot of experimentation, experience. Out of all of those years of research and experience, what is like the most surprising thing you've learned about the human body, this incredible innate intelligence within us? That's a good question. I think the biggest overarching thing that I've learned is that everything is a feedback loop. And I used to understand feedback loop in the world of you know endocrinology and like testosterone relationships there. And that made sense. You know, I understood like, oh, okay, if, you know, shut down this endogenous testosterone production, then it creates this feedback loop. That all made sense from a hormonal standpoint, but didn't really realize how much it happens in virtually everything. Like everything has a receptor, everything has a signal, everything communicates with each each other. And the benefits which we achieve from doing nutritional intervention or different exercise modalities is all about trying to send a different signal and trying to kind of have this different reaction. You know, what I mean by that is I, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that the gut microbiome and short chain fatty acids, like what we break down fibers into have the ability to send signals that regulate glucose metabolism. But then when you start realizing it, you start thinking about it, it makes perfect sense that you're going to have this constant feedback mechanism. And same thing with ketones. Like ketones are a signaling device. They hit cells and there we have receptors on our cells to specifically accept ketones so that the body understands we are quote unquote in a time of you know starvation and has different chain reactions that occur resulting in different longevity benefits and whatnot. So the simplest way is just, you know, opening my eyes to all this. I never would have realized that. And that's probably the biggest overarching thing is that every single thing we do has a chain reaction and sends a different signal to do something else. And it's not just as cut and dry as everyone wants to make it seem. Yeah, so true. You know what you're you're kind of explaining the process of hormesis, right? When you change and vary. So maybe go a little bit deeper in, into that and why this hormetic curve is so important to achieve, but we also too much of it could be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, Dr. Pompa talks a lot about too, but I mean, hormetic stressors, hormesis in general, I think it's virtually everything for really like is everything is an adaptation as just everything is a signal, right? So the hormetic stressors in our life, 
they happen on a daily basis, whether we realize them or not. I mean, let's just use like a really simple example. I mean, you get hungry, okay? So you have a little bit of a hormetic, it's not fun to be hungry, but it's a little bit of a hormetic stressor that forces an adaptation that allows your body to adjust and get more acclimated. And its adaptation is, okay, well, if you're not going to feed me, then screw you. I'm going to find food from your body fat. I'm going to find food from your muscle tissue. I'm going to find, it's going to, you know, body's like kind of giving you the finger in a way, but it's an adaptation. The same thing kind of applies when we get thirsty, right? We, we don't drink water. So, okay, well, then we have, you know, vasopressin. We have all these other things that are going to cause us to retain water. But if we start pushing these stressors too far, then yes, it's a nice curve until it's a pretty aggressive drop. You know, like the hormetic curve is you can add stress, you can add stress, you can add stress, and it keeps going up, 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 and starts to flatline a little bit. And all of that means that you can adapt to that stress. But then when you push it just a tad too far, it just, the benefits go away. Another example would be, let's say you exercise, you know, and you, you have progressively more intense workouts and you get progressively stronger as an adaptation, but there's a limit eventually if you push yourself too hard you're going to get yourself sick right you're going to overtrain same thing applies in virtually like everything we expose ourselves to even when we try different foods it's a stressor to our body that's why we don't always feel good that's another reason why when you're doing keto and all of a sudden you have a sweet potato you don't feel like it should be there but you also have this radical shift in your body that's adapting and this constant adaptation. One of the things that you say that Dr. Pompa says all the time that I just agree with so much is like, we should always be in a little bit of discomfort. And I don't mean painful discomfort, but I mean, mentally should always be pushing the boundaries and should always be testing different things because that level of discomfort is going to allow us to acclimate and adapt. But then you might be, you know, begs the question like, okay, well, when is the end? When do I finally get to enjoy the fruits of my labor? when you die. I mean, cause like, <laughs> it, so you have a choice, like you either adapt and you like stress yourself little bits here and there and make life a little bit uncomfortable, but you get to live or you throw in the towel and you become, you know, a 90 year old sedentary person that just wants to give up on life and no longer wants the stress anymore. So you sit in a bed and wither away. Like, I'm not saying you're going to live forever at all. And I'm not trying to insinuate that people that are frail are bad people. My point is just saying that you should always be keeping a stimulus and keeping a little bit of stress. It's just like your dogs, they get old and they get to be 15, 16 years old sometimes and you don't take them for walks anymore, but that's when they start to deteriorate because there's no more stressor, no more adaptation. So what's the point in living? The cells don't see a point anymore. There's no adaptation that needs to occur. Oh, I don't sound like too cynical and dark. I'm just <laughs> no. like, it's uh, I think it's something that we all could learn a lot from because we should be a little bit uncomfortable. And that goes for everything that we do. Yeah, amen. Uh, everything that we do, the magic is outside of that comfort zone. Hey, I want to let you know about an amazing company who offers really impressive foods from nature. I'm referring to wildfoods.co. If you're looking for a one-stop shop for your keto supplements, keto coffee, keto nuts and seeds, and amazing collagen protein powders, you're gonna to wanna to check out wildfoods.co. Wild Foods specializes in real foods from small producers around the world. They're passionate about their ingredients and they have a powerful story. All of their products do not contain artificial sweeteners, no gluten, no soy, no refined sugars, no preservatives, and no fillers. They adhere to ridiculously high standards like myself, which is why I endorsed so if you're looking for some keto protein powders, golden milk lattes for some restful nights of sleep, multivitamins for men and women, cacao powders, 
elderberry capsules for the immune system, wild Himalayan pink salt for your electrolyte balance, and much more. I want you to check out my friends over at wildfoods.co. As a listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, you will receive 20% off your order by using the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout. No space in between. Keto Camp, camp with a K at checkout. Get 20% off your order. Head to wildfoods.co. Use Keto Camp at checkout and enjoy their awesome products. The example, too much exercise, not good. Too much fasting, not good. It's a positive stress, but too much of a good thing ends up being a bad thing. You don't want excessive autophagy. You don't want excessive mTOR. You want that proper balance. But the the difficult part that we're tasked with as every single person is in this world, 7.5 billion people, is finding your hermetic curve. Like what is proper for you? Maybe you got to do keto for six months versus the 60 days. Maybe you got to do fasting 18 hours versus the 14 hours. So how do you find that proper balance for yourself? That's a good question. I just filmed some content on this that hasn't gone live on my channel yet, but Perfect. You know, there's some data points with it. Heart rate variability is a great way that you can kind of look at these things. Mm. I'm not the biggest believer in like totally relying on heart rate variability because there's a lot of just different factors with it, but heart rate variability is measuring basically the time, the, the difference in the time between beats. So, you know, a higher heart rate variability indicates that you have a lot of flexibility within your your strokes with your heart, so how much you can adapt. So the reason that I mentioned that I'm finding your hormetic curve is, at least with fasting, if I were to start fasting today and I've never fasted before, I might find that my heart rate variability drops significantly because fasting is a huge stressor to me. But if I, after today, fast religiously two to three days a week for a year, flash forward a year, that same fast that I did today would have a completely different result on my heart rate variability. There's not a lot of other factors that we have access to as far as data that can tell us like our stress response without doing like salivary cortisol testing. And, you know, so not any one brand in particular, I'm not here to like shout anyone out. I'm just saying that's a great way to be able to see like, okay, with keto and fasting, like when are you reaching this point where you might be able to stretch a fast a little bit longer and push it? Because I've been fasting a lot for, you know, nine, 10 years. I could jump into a 48 hour fast and it wouldn't be an issue. But if you're eating six meals a day and you're eating fast food and you want to jump in and do it, you're probably going to like, you might very well get yourself really sick doing a 48 hour fast. And it's not apples to apples. And there's also a lot of different epigenetic factors. I did a video on this that completely friggin' tanked because no one took an interest except for like six people on the planet. I'm um, one of them probably. <laughs> did you see my video on like my personal epigenetics? No, I didn't, but I'm fascinated now. Yeah, well, so like, okay, granted I was super overweight when I was in my 20s, but you know, when I was young, I ran my first marathon at 11 years old. And wow. I was like super crazy long distance runner, which is why I ended up overweight because I pretty much blew my knees out by the time I was 16. Like I was a freak. I was, you know, like the youngest person to do the Chronicle Marathon. I was like backpacked the John Muir Trail, which was 250 miles, did that twice. Wow. And like I, I was just a freak, an endurance freak. Well, I had this epiphany where I'm like, well, epigenetics, as far as like, I probably had a good degree of epigenetic like fat adaptation that occurred that made me just a super freak in terms of how I respond to keto. Now I'm not trying to like hurt anyone's mojo by saying like, okay, well Thomas just responds to keto because he's a super freak because he's got this like epigenetic kind of change. No, my point is like, do I respond exceptionally well to keto? Yeah. Do I respond better than even some people? Yes. Do I respond better than most? Yeah. I would say I'm a little bit of a kind of a freak with that. Like I do respond exceptionally. I can put muscle on in a second with keto and a lot of people still kind of struggle and I'm aware of that. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with sort of my epigenetics and like how I've conditioned my body and that adaptation and that adaptation that reigns through that continues to shine. So even though 15 years went by without doing heavy endurance work, as soon as my body started saw the ketones and the fats again as a fuel source, it was like, ah, I remember this, you know, and it got really good at it. So there's a lot of just different variables that play in as far as like an individual. So I could argue that like I was probably a little bit adapted to going into a fast a lot quicker than someone who, you know, has been eating just straight carbs and sedentary their entire life. Granted, I mean, I will say full disclaimer, like when I was, if anyone's a runner, you know how runners typically eat, like long distance runners don't eat well, like, you know, I would go run a marathon and then pound like 14 jack in the box tacos. You know, it was like, they become diabetic. Yeah, they really do. And then what happens like with me when then when I stopped the training, I mean, I gained 100 pounds in a little over a year. I mean, it was like ridiculous. So because you continue to eat like that, um, slight digression there. But point is, is everyone has a different hormetic curve. Heart rate variability is going to help you out a lot with that, but also just listening to your body. I mean, if you're tired, you're tired. If you, uh, one of the ways that you always want to kind of overcome it is don't shy away from protein. Don't be afraid of that protein. I feel like a lot of people, you know, when they are kind of testing their body and stressing their body, it's easy for the appetite to go down. And I understand that that's a lot of the goals that people want. But the biggest mistake that I made was, you know, skimping on the protein when I was doing a lot of aggressive fasting. I think I had a lot of like tissue tear down that I didn't get to repair properly because I was really malnourished. So there's some unsolicited advice. For you. <laughs> well, you know, you know, speaking of protein, what is your general recommendation for protein on keto? How much do you recommend? Pretty simple. I, I'm a big fan of like one gram per pound of body weight. I think it's a great number, which sounds that's pretty hefty for a lot of people and a lot of yeah. people, but I don't mean think that everybody has to do that. Total I'm, body weight or lean? No, I go total. Like I'm, I'm, I'm about 180 pounds. So I mean, my goal is about 180 grams of protein a day. So, well, well, but what if somebody weighs like 280 pounds Yeah, and they're, and they've got, you know, that's a good question. I think generally what they'll say is like 0.8 or 0.6 to 0.8 you know, grams per kilogram, which ends up being significantly less. But I feel like that really puts us on a, like a, you know, razor's edge with really being catabolic. So, I mean, yeah, cause I'm pretty lean. I mean, I'm at probably six, 7% body fat. So it's a majority of my weight right there. So if you can factor your lean body mass, then yes, I would say if you know for a fact that you're over 10 or 15% body fat, you know, a more so of like 0.7, 0.8 grams per pound, I still think I mean, protein is not going to kick you out of ketosis. I, I know that, you know, four years ago, I did a video concerned about that. And I think I've done like six videos explaining different pathways and why that is not true, not the case anymore. Our perception of science always changes. There's always new research. And five years ago, yeah, we totally thought that gluconeogenesis was a bad thing. Now we know that gluconeogenesis is another driver of AMPK and puts us deeper into a ketogenic state, despite the fact that we have an insulin spike from protein because the insulin spike is also alongside a glucagon spike that's keeping our insulin to glucagon ratio where it should be. So have as much protein as you want if it's within a respectful caloric range. And I think it's much better to lean into protein than it is to lean into fats because you're much less likely to overdo the protein than you are to overdo the fats. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great share right there. I agree with you, Thomas. And in insulin, the insulin response from protein is more of a phase two versus a phase one. And also not all protein is created equal. So when Thomas says protein, you're referring to animal-based protein. Is that right? Yes, I am. I'm referring to animal-based protein, but I'm also not opposed to, you know, good quality plant-based protein. Like I do see 
a place for it. Like I prefer pea protein over whey protein, given how I feel with it. People have their own issues with lectins and things like that. I, I think that lectins to a degree, I don't want to go down in a different rabbit hole, but once again, they're a hormetic stressor. Like we have to adapt. Like, you know, we can't sit here and, and bag on phytic acid and stuff too much because if you overdo it, sure. But a little bit of exposure to it allows us to deal with it. So, but then, you know, yeah, like I just don't agree with whey protein on my stomach a lot and pea protein. Like a lot of times I feel like I just need supplemental protein considering how much I lift and stuff like that. And if I were to consume a ton of whey, I feel very inflamed, but that's just me. Yeah. I don't do well with whey protein as well. And I agree with you with the, I love carnivore short term. I don't think it's a great, I don't think we should run away from the plant toxins because of the benefit from the hormetic stress. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is Pure lifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I want to go through a little bit of some rapid fire keto questions with you here and feel free to answer them quickly or answer them a little bit longer. Uh, Okay, healthy or not on keto? Okay, first thing, cow dairy. That's a, it's a really tough one, but I'm going to say, you know, if it's grass fed, grass finished, I think you're fine. You get enough CLA out of it that it can actually be beneficial, but there isn't tolerable upper amount. I wouldn't exceed more than like, you know, 10% of your fat intake coming from dairy. Okay. Almonds. Sprouted. Yes. Dry roasted. Not quite as good, but okay. Raw. Stay away. What about almond flour? That would be raw. So stay away. Yeah, generally, and if you can go blanched, uh, just because at least it's not going to have the phytic acid in the skin. So you're okay if you go blanched. I mean, it's not like one of those things where you need to, it's in everything, right? So just don't go overboard. It's the same kind of thing with the you'd experience with like wheat gluten. It's like we just have this overconsumption of it. So just just limit it. I interviewed Dr. Nasha Winters a few weeks ago, and she said that almonds have a 2,000 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. That's pretty intense. That's intense. Uh, okay, so almonds depends. Spinach and kale. 
So spinach, as long as it's cooked, so the oxalates are a little bit chiller. You're still going to have some when it cooked, but once the heated oxalates break down, kale, go for baby kale. Kale is kind of in the same category. So baby kale is much lower phytic and oxalic acid count. Nightshades. Personally, I have... I have an allergic reaction to nightshades. So <laughs> like I, like, yeah, if, I, if I have chili powder, I'm sneezing my ass off. So I have a little bit of my own vendetta with nightshades. But again, though, nightshades, once they're cooked, they're supposed to break down. Like I can have marinara without a problem, but if I have a raw tomato, I'm sneezing. So just kind of interesting. So I think it's, it's highly individual. Uh, you'll probably notice it activates a histamine response very similar to what you would get with the pollen counts high. So you might notice you don't usually have an issue with nightshades unless it's like springtime. All of a sudden, you're having this like mast cell reaction that's causing this massive like bucket to overflow. So just kind of pay attention. You're like, why do I feel crappy when I eat tomatoes in spring, but not yeah. in the fall? It can absolutely be seasonal. Interesting. Yeah. And it might be like a post-nasal drip sort of thing. Uh, barbecued meat. <laughs> I mean, depends what kind of sauce is on it, I guess. But <laughs> generally, yeah. I mean, if you go overboard all the time, like heterocyclic amines and stuff like that, if you cook it like a super high heat, I would recommend smoking meats. It's a little lower temperature and longer duration. So you kind of preserve things better without the, you know, HCAs and stuff in it. Yeah, great. Uh, and what about bacon? I'm a fan of bacon. What type of bacon, though? Usually the way that I look at bacon, I mean, obviously you don't want to have the processed garbage, but when you look at any strip of bacon, kind of a hack is try to find the ones that have the thick ribbon of fat versus kind of the marbling. Okay. And the reason behind that is like when you look at a piece of bacon, if it's marbled and if it doesn't have a thick kind of rim of fat on it, usually it's going to be a higher polyunsaturated, monounsaturated fat count, which is fine. It's going to be okay if it's in meat, but you don't cook bacon at a low temperature. You cook it at a high temperature, which means it denatures a lot. So you want to have a bacon that's going to be a higher saturated fat content because it can handle a high heat cooking. So you like a backstrap or just, just look at your bacon and be like, which brands are going to be like have a thick strip of saturated fat versus ones that look relatively lean because that's usually the kind you don't want to go for. Awesome. Any other hidden... Uh, healthy, uh, in quotes, unquote, keto foods. Hidden healthy ones. I have a bunch of them. That are not really healthy because those who are listening can't see me doing the air quotes, but not really healthy, yeah. I mean, again, it kind of comes down to what kind of food it is. Like, I mean, mayonnaise, you could be like, yeah, mayonnaise is a health food, but then soybean oil, right? I mean, you kind of have to look at stuff like that. So there's a lot of little idiosyncrasies that you can find in, in any food that's healthy or not. I'd say, you know, some of the ones that you really have to be careful of are, you know, salad dressings. Those are like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it's great. It's going to be a good fat content. It's usually canola oil. It's usually soybean oil, usually stuff like that. I think, again, when it comes down to like the raw almonds, the raw nuts, things like that, they're very, very difficult to break down in their raw form. And they actually chelate a lot of the other minerals that are in your gut, making it harder to get the proper mineralization. So are they unhealthy? No, but we overdo a lot of them on keto. Another thing, you know, any kind of processed cheese, any stuff like mm-hmm. that, sugar alcohols, I don't think we anyone thinks they're healthy, but still need to be cognizant of them just in terms of what they do. Man, there's a million, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. What's worse, industrial seed oils or sugar? Very good question. Industrial seed oils. I agree. What's worse, industrial seed oils or smoking cigarettes? 
industrial cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, we don't promote smoking. Chew, I mean, I do chew nicotine gum now and then. I mean, that's an interesting science if you actually want to look at that. You huh. probably have kind of gone down that road. Like, nicotine's not the bad part. I'm not saying like I'm addicted to nicotine gum, but as a, as a, uh, in fact, there was a, who's the guy over at, at Biohacking Congress that was like talking about the methylene blue and everything like that? Kind of the big nootropic guy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's actually this Zen is the, there's nicotine in here. Yeah, I actually have it right here. You don't want to overdo it, but it's, it's, it's interesting. People should look into the research there because it's actually the opposite of it actually can be used to properly break addictions and kind of that dopamine response you get. And it's sort of the pathway that you're freeing up a lot. It gives you energy when you're fasting. And anyway, people are probably going to unsubscribe for me because they're like, Thomas, choose a <laughs> nicotine gum every now and then. Do it. Well, there's always going to be somebody out there. But yeah, there's nicotine in here. Now, it's like anything else. You don't want to take it every single day. We were talking about chaga before this. You don't want to have chaga every single day. You want to go on and off. That's that's the goal. So let's get to some questions. Becky has a question. The question is, what's Thomas's opinion on the optimal range for heart rate variability? Yeah, HRV is super tough, though, because, again, it's one of those things that's crazy individual, like crazy individual. So you have to find your baseline and see how you respond. What's, what's yours? I sit around a 90. That's like, you know, that's so pretty it's... Good. That's pretty good, you know, and, but, you know, when I first started wearing, I kind of scrapped my aura ring because it just got in the way a lot of times with working out and stuff. I use it. Mm. I use an eight sleep now. Have you, are you familiar with them? No. Eight sleep is a, like it's a mattress topper that just tracks everything. It tracks, tracks my respiration rate, my heart rate, my heart rate variability, my deep sleep, my REM, everything just based on. So it's pretty awesome. And that has kind of, you know, been a better indicator kind of given me a long term because it factors in my respiration rate and other things that actually would play into that. But when I was like first starting to measure, I was in the 40s. So definitely wow. have made a concerted effort to improve it. Again, it's one of those things though. Like I actually feel like it's okay to go through days with a low HRV. You know, I think it's it builds a little bit of resilience and it allows you to kind of get stronger. But you should be aware that you know you don't overdo it on those days. So it's highly relative. Like my wife Hers is like a 120. It's amazing. I'm so mm-hmm. I'm like I'm so jealous. And then I'm like, you know what? Like, you're a lot more stressed out than I am. <laughs> so your baseline is different. You know, it's that's just true. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because my fiance, her her heart rate variability is 150, 160, and I'm like, what is going on? She's not an elite athlete or something like that. So I want some of that. But the important thing to Thomas's point is find your baseline and then work on improving it. And even if you have some days where it's lower, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit and consultation And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals, or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott, who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements, and they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests, which typically indicate short-term results, Hair is the best identifier, and you could get that hair from your head, armpit area, or even pubic area, and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in, 
and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal, KetoCamp podcast listeners, to receive 10% off your order. Head to UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website. That is UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10. So I think Tina's ready to come on here. Let me bring her on here and see if her audio is working. Thomas, thank you for being on here. We met at the Biohacking Conference in Santa Clara. I'm a huge fan. Love your YouTube channel. I um, actually flexed out a keto on Sunday night when I was playing music with some friends. Had a fabulous night. I'm on a two-day to three-day fast right now. I went right back into ketosis the next day. I was really thrilled with that because I'm getting prepared to flex out again Memorial weekend when my family comes up and we go to Lake Tahoe for the weekend. So I'm feeling really great. My ketone levels are up. My question, since I'm fasting, and it was came up this morning, there's so many opinions on what breaks a fast. Yeah. And I know everybody gets all these questions. I have a tendency when I'm fasting, I drink a lot of LMNT to keep the minerals up, but I usually put some apple cider vinegar and lemon juice in that. And then this morning was talking about that that probably breaks your fast. So I'd like your opinion on that and just kind of generally your philosophy about a longer term two to three day fast, what should and should you not do during yeah. that? So there's a couple calories in apple cider vinegar. So it's, you know, in a literal sense, it breaks a fast. In a literal sense, a little bit of lemon will break a fast. But you also have to ask yourself, you know, two big questions. Like one, like what is happening? With apple cider vinegar, it's unique because when it converts, it converts into acetylcholine A, which some would say that's triggering a metabolic response. But with how it's working at the cell and it has that conversion, it sort of mimics acetylcholine A. So the body has a response as being in a net deficit as a result of consuming that apple cider vinegar. So even though there's calories in it and metabolically you're breaking a fast, you're actually putting yourself deeper into a fast as far as AMPK pathway is concerned. So apple cider vinegar will be very beneficial for you in the first 20 hours of a fast when AMPK is the main driver of everything that's happening. Because after you've been in a fast for a long period of time, AMPK is no longer the drive. Like matters. AMPK levels are going to stabilize because AMPK is just an energy sensor, right? So AMPK recognizes, oh, there's no food coming in, so we need to shift gears and get a different fuel source, so we need to go with fat. Well, at a certain point, once your blood lipid levels are elevated and you have free fatty acids flowing, as far as your cells are concerned, they have fuel. So AMPK no longer needs to be activated, because remember, AMPK is a sensor that recognizes that we are out of fuel, whether it's food or fatty acids that are liberated. So once the fatty acids ramp up and they're liberated, then AMPK stabilizes, AMPK says, oh, cool, we do have food, we're good. Then all of a sudden it becomes a question of PPAR-alpha, gluconeogenesis, uh, you know, driving up that. So at that point, apple cider vinegar late in a fast is probably not going to do much good for you, but in the first 16 to 20 hours, it can do a lot for you by helping get, getting you there faster. Uh, the lemon juice, it's, it's a negligible thing. And the other, the other piece of that real quick is, if it allows you to get through a longer fast than you ordinarily wouldn't get through, then it's a win. So the apple cider vinegar doesn't necessarily help you later in the fast, but it doesn't hurt you either. 
Correct. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to kind of bag on it. And, and it's <laughs> again, curious. Yeah. I don't think it's going to hurt you. It's certainly not going to hurt you, but it's definitely going to trigger some level of metabolic response that might, you know, turn off a small iota of autophagy, but it's so negligible. It's, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Thank you so yeah. much. You bet. Thanks, Tina. Awesome question. Um, Jen, do you want to come on here and ask Thomas a question? Yep. Jen's ready to go. Let's do it. Hey, Jen. Hi, Ben. Hi, Thomas. Um, Just listening to you, I've got several questions. First of all, you talked about chaga. What's chaga? Chaga is uh, an adaptogenic or uh, adaptogenic mushroom. So it's like in a lot of these uh, different uh, like four sigmatic and all these different kind of adaptogenic like drinks and, you know, mushroom extracts and stuff that are there. So chaga is just specifically has a lot of research surrounding the immune system. Adaptogens are pretty powerful. What adaptogens do is they kind of allow the body to find homeostasis. So you can never give yourself something that's going to be like immune defense. Like it's not how it works. Like you can't, you're always better off to activate your body's own immune system. So what happens is like with an adaptogenic compound is it forces the body to adapt quickly and make changes as it needs to make to adapt to a given stressor. Chaga is just notorious in the immune system world. Like there's lion's mane, which is notorious in like uh, neuromuscular and just neurological in general, helping like brain connectivity and all that. Pretty interesting stuff. I've definitely noticed a big difference myself when I feel like I might be coming down with something kind of up the chaga and maybe it's placebo effect, but I feel like it works pretty well for me. Okay. Um, and you talked about nuts. Don't eat them raw. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's going to, it's not going to, it's not going to kill you. And there's certain nuts that you really want to have raw, like, um, like, you know, peely nuts, once they're kind of opened up and those are a different story, macadamia nuts are fine to have raw because macadamia nuts, they don't have any phytic acid anyway. And the omega profile is so nice on them. The reason I'm usually opposed to raw nuts is just because they, the phytic acid content, that's what basically makes it very hard to break down, hard to digest. And it causes other things that are in your digestive tract at that time to become harder to digest. When you roast them, it breaks down some of that phytic acid. When you sprout them, it breaks down virtually all of it. So, so that like the soaking? Yeah. Them, yeah. Like yep. overnight or, okay. Yep. And then you talked about nicotine and gum for addiction. Could that be good for a sugar addiction? It's a, it's a stretch to say, you know, I, I'm careful not to make specific claims on it, but you know, the, the same reason that nicotine gum is used to help with addiction with cigarettes is less about the nicotine because it's not really the nicotine in tobacco that is even the addictive component. There's other, I mean, yes, there are addictive properties to help people feel with it, but people generally get addicted to the other compounds and the other chemicals that are much, much worse than the nicotine. So nicotine gum is used to sort of pacify and kind of get a dopamine hit in a weird way, in a way that isn't as detrimental as whatever you're trying to you know get away from so as far as sugar yeah and it's definitely the same pathway so like i chew it a lot of times when i'm fasting because i feel like i just get a huge mental surge from it but it does also totally abolish my appetite i mean like like i don't want to think about food i don't want to say it makes me nauseous thinking about food but in a lot of ways it kind of does like i just no interest whatsoever because it's sort of pacifying that same pathway and this is just a general question what got you into doing what you're doing? Yeah, so Where did I would you learn everything that you knew. <laughs> yeah, I, I came out of the uh, 
you know, private equity world. I was in a ancillary lab services company that I was a part owner in. So I, I managed about 1200 physicians in that. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I just, I was hundred pounds overweight at that time. And when I went through my transformation, I had, you know, some amazing, amazing physicians that I was overseeing in my given business with, you know, again, ancillary lab services, providing different lab testing services to fee for service physicians. So I learned just a ton then when I was going through my own transformation. And then from there, it just became just a sheer passion. I was essentially in medical sales before. So understanding biochemistry was very important. And where I became really strong was in my ability to articulate the biochemistry. I mean, for lack of a better term, I had to know it in order to, to sell. I mean, I had to know. And it was, and then a I was just the guy that wasn't applying it to my everyday life. And then I realized, okay, well, that is really my, my gift is my ability to articulate this biochemistry. And I want to do it for a purpose other than selling medical devices. And, you know, so then it came into, okay, once I had my transformation, I realized that I did have something to sell. I had my story and uh, that's how it all began. And then now I'm very blessed to have the, uh, you know, the ability to have a team of researchers and things like that can help me. Like just whenever I find something that's interesting, we, we can just, we can all go at it together and just, I mean, so that's, I try not to ever say I'm a, an expert. I really, I'm just good at sharing the information in a way that gets people excited. And then I experiment on myself. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, awesome question. All right, Thomas, you're writing a new book, aren't you? I am. And well, I've got one, one that just released. Yeah. And then, uh, and then a new one that's coming out next year. Well, the one that I'm talking about is the one, because Jill contacted me and said she's working with you. So that's the one next year? Yep. Well, I work, we're actually working with Cordo with Jill on both. Oh, cool. So yeah. <laughs> so what the new book, what is it about? So it is like a complete guide to fasting. It's like easy, just making it simple for the everyday person. The new book, is that available on uh, Amazon? So the new book, so that's the fasting book that's coming out next year. And then the Mediterranean keto book is a cookbook, which is just geared towards, which actually would be directly applicable with your book. So if you guys wanted to get a one, two punch, pick up Ben's book and then pick up the, it's called the new Mediterranean diet. We, we kind of kept keto out of the title for that reason, because Amazon was kind of weird on some of the cookbooks with keto. But anyway, the point is, is that it is keto. It's all Mediterranean totally. keto. So it's a great, if you follow, you know, Ben's protocol with his book with keto flexing, the meals that are in my cookbook just coincide perfectly. And then we didn't even do that on purpose. It just inadvertently kind of works. So if you pick up his book, you might want to pick out, it's called the, yeah, the new Mediterranean diet. It's right now it's, uh, it's it is still is the top keto cookbook bestseller on Amazon. Awesome. That's terrific, Thomas. Yeah, go get his book. We'll put a link for it in the live stream and the podcast notes. Thomas, thank you for being a wealth of information, an amazing human being. Let me know the next time you come down to Miami. Can't wait to hang out with you and just keep shining bright in a world that needs your work. So I want to say thank you. We all appreciate you. And I look forward to doing a round three with you, hopefully sometime soon. Likewise, my man. hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with Thomas. Go get his brand new book, The Mediterranean Cookbook. We'll drop a link for you to go get that down below. We'll also put all of Thomas's information down below. Go subscribe to his fantastic YouTube channel. Go check him out on Instagram and all the social media platforms and share this episode with a friend, somebody you believe who could get value from a conversation like this. Text it to them, post it on social media and take a screenshot and post that on your Instagram stories and shoot me and Thomas a tag so we see it and we share it on our stories as well.
If you haven't purchased the book KetoFlex, please go to ketoflexbook.com so you can get my brand new book to really understand how to apply keto and fasting for long-term results. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I will see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.